couple of weeks ago, I guess three weeks ago, we started this series. Thank God, it's Monday. Well, I know it's not Monday yet, but it's going to be Monday. We're trying to tie, uh, tie links between Sunday to Monday because so many times we try to, uh, or we, we are guilty of, I think, uh, compartmentalizing our lives. And so we've got our church life and then we've got our work life or we've got our home life or, or life away from here is different from or separate from our spiritual lives. And so, uh, we're, we're trying to kind of break that, uh, break that mold, so to speak. Whether you're uh, working nine to five or you're working third shift or you're retired or you're a student or you're a stay-at-home mom or or somewhere in between, I I think all of this applies to each of us. As I said last time, uh, your work has eternal implications even if it doesn't appear to have eternal value. Uh, so, so it's, it's important not only what we do, but, uh, but, but, but how we do it, so to speak. How we do our work is as important as what work we do. And so, uh, so just to review, just a couple of things. I know it was several weeks ago, they say that you forget 90% of the sermon by the time dinner's over on Sunday. So now it's been three weeks, so I really need to just bring you up to speed. So, uh, so, so here we go. Uh, first of all, we, we saw last time that work is not bad. Uh, that, that, that it's, it's, uh, at the beginning of time, God worked, uh, it, through creation. He created the, the, the heavens and the earth and all that we, we see. God worked. That was His work and that was before any sin had, had been around. Obviously, God doesn't sin and so, but God worked. And, and we see that ex- explained and, and, uh, and spelled out in Genesis, uh, chapters one and two. We also see that Adam was put to work by God in the garden before there was any uh, any sin that ever took, before Eve was ever even created. Adam was working in the garden. Uh, so therefore, you and I have been created by God. Uh, we are some of his best work, I guess we could say. He said that uh, he created uh, uh, humankind and and it was very good. And, and he created us to do work. That, that, that work is part of what we're supposed to do in, uh, in life. You have been cr- crafted. You have been created. You have been designed, made, put together. However you want to say it, you have been, uh, designed specifically for God's purposes. Work isn't bad. We also need to know that sin has made work more difficult. So, so work is not bad in, even of it, in and of itself, but, uh, because of sin, work is more difficult than it was before sin. Uh, that difficulty was part of the curse that God gave humanity because of their sin. You read all about it in Genesis 3, Adam, Eve, the apple, the serpent, all those things, and then there was a curse that God put on the, the, the serpent and on the woman and on the man, and part of that curse was that work was going to be toilsome now. Work was going to have pain involved in it, but and it was also going to be a necessary part of life uh, that, that, that uh, Adam needed to work the ground, uh, to- toil with the ground in order for it to produce. So, uh, so, so now we have to, we have to provide a living, whereas uh, it seems before that work was maybe more joy-filled and fulfilling. Uh, knowing all of that, I think, helps us see that our work will always be marked with some level of frustration. It's natural for work to stress you out at times because it's been cursed. Uh, it, it, we also need to know that work is God's design and there's still purpose and joy in it when we press through the stress, I guess. So, so there's gonna be stress involved in it. Uh, there, there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, heartache and toil and all those kinds of things. Yet work in and of itself is still something that, uh, that God has designed for us to do. Our theme first for this, uh, this whole series verses, uh, is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and it, it says this. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And that passage is this, just rich with so many different truths. Uh, whatever you do, whatever you find yourself doing, whatever it is, whatever work you do, whatever job you do, whatever it is that you uh, fill your time with, uh, anything. So, so we're, 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 we're not off the hook. We can't say, oh, once I get my real job, then I'm going No, whatever you're doing, whatever you do, uh, and what are you supposed to do? Put your whole heart into it. Uh, work at it with all your heart. Why? Because God is your boss. Not just your boss is your boss, but God is your boss. Or those of you that might be bosses, uh, that, that you still have a boss, and it's God, and he's your boss. And so because he is, whatever you're doing, you need to put your whole heart into it because he's... The boss. We're not just working for human masters. And that really changes the, the whole dynamic of it all. Uh, author Sebastian Traeger puts it this way in his book, The Gospel at Work. He says, who you work for is more important than what you do. Who you work for is more important than what you do. So knowing that really changes everything about how we approach work and life. We're working for God. We're not working for our our supervisor or our manager or we're just kind of answering to no one. We're, We're working for God and so that changes what we do and how we do it. And I think that helps us to avoid a couple of things that I want to talk about today that, that tend to sidetrack us in, uh, in, in fulfilling this, uh, this calling of, of, of working for God. A couple of traps I think we could fall into, uh, kind of different sides of the pendulum swing, so to speak. Uh, both are detrimental and both uh, make us miss what God intends in our work. Uh, again, uh, Mr. Traeger uh, phrases it this way, and I, I couldn't think of anything better a way to say it. He says that we either treat our work as an idol... Or we become idle in our work. See what he did there? Get that? See, it's spelled a little different. You got that? Yeah. So we, either we make work an idol or we become idle. Or uh, let's see, Matt Chandler put it this way. Uh, either we hate our work or we hope in our work. So either it's a, it's an idol or we become idle. Either we hate it or we hope in it. Either way, it's, uh, it's uh, on those extremes. It's, it's, uh, not what we should be, how we should be approaching our work. So first let's, let's look at, look at what it might look like to treat work as an idol. Um, as, as you may know, people throughout history have had idols. Uh, like in the Old Testament time, they had little statues, right, and uh, made, no, made of wood or stone or something, and they would, they would literally uh, set them in a prominent place, and they would bow down to them. They would, they would uh, do it. Obviously, we don't do that in our culture today, but we still have idols. An idol is simply something you desire more than God. An idol is simply something that you desire more than God. So relationships can become idols. Those people in those relationships can be, be an idol. We can make the, that can be more important to us than our relationship with God. Hobbies can be idols. We can put all of our time and attention into, into those hobbies and they can become idols. Sports teams can become idols even in the week when the Indians are in the World Series. Really not much of a baseball fan, but I'm jumping on the bandwagon, man. It's going to be great. Although, did you notice Worship Night in America? Maybe it's fitting. First night of the World Series, Worship Night, time of prayer and worship. Maybe that's, uh, okay, well, hopefully, anyway. 
Enough said there. But uh, uh, anyway, worship. Uh, we can we can worship our sports team, or maybe uh, folks uh, that uh, that are you know maybe um, uh, we we make idols of some of those people that play on those sports, or maybe that that uh, are are uh, entertainers or actors, those kinds of things. We can we can make an idol of some of those folks. Money can be an idol, certainly. We it can be more important to us than God. And many times our jobs, our career, uh, can certainly become more important to us than God as well. There, there are a lot of great things that we can get from our work. Like I said, God created work that, that it's, it's important and we need to be a part of that. There's a wonderful satisfaction that we get for a job well done. There's recognition, uh, and, and promotion and there's status when we do well and there, we feel good about ourselves when we're using our talents and our gifts to accomplish great things. And, and, uh, and, and of course there's the money that we make in order, uh, as we, as we, uh, we work and that it, it buys the, uh, the lifestyle that, 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 that we enjoy and, our work many times gives us a sense of identity that, uh, you know, it becomes part of who we are. I mean, God has, and again, I said, God created it, put us together in the way that he did. And part of the reason was to do the work that we're called to do. And so we say, yeah, well, I, I do that. I am this, uh, fill in the blank. I'm, I'm a whatever. And, and, and it's part of who we are. And none of those things are, are bad things. Uh, we should have satisfaction and pride in a job well done. We should make money and provide for our needs and for the needs of our families. It, it's okay to find identity in your work. But we can go too far very quickly. If we become so wrapped up in the things that we're chasing after and the recognition and the identity and the money, and if the bulk of our passion and our energy and even our love is directed toward those things related to our work, then it's very possible that work is becoming an idol. Well, you might say, well, what's wrong with having idols? I mean, it's, you know, it's, what's the big deal there? Well, the, the simple answer is that if we have an idol, then God is no longer number one in our lives. And it's not a coincidence that the very first of the Ten Commandments, top ten list, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do that. Uh, number one is, don't have any other gods before me. Genesis, or Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Uh, God is a jealous God, it says all the way through Scripture. And uh, and when we put other things in front of him, he gets jealous of that. Jesus himself said in Luke 4, 8, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The basic, uh, a basic fundamental principle of our relationship with God is that it's an exclusive relationship. It's not that we're going out with God, but we're dating other people, right? It's an exclusive relationship. This is a, uh, I love you and no, no one else compares. There will be no other gods before you, God. And work can become, for lack of a better term, work can become a mistress, pulling us away from our one true love. And work makes a lousy God. It, it always demands more than, and, and it will always let you down. If, if you're relying on your work to bring complete fulfillment and satisfaction to your life, then you won't ever quite reach it. Of course, it'll, it'll help you feel good for a bit, and you'll get that satisfaction, that fulfillment, and uh, you get that sale, you finish that project, you get that raise, but there's always more, and there's always something else to do the next day, and the next, and the next, another hill to conquer, another goal to achieve. Work was never meant to provide all of that satisfaction and fulfillment. Yes, God created Adam and he, he had him working in the garden, but, uh, but, but 
his identity wasn't wrapped up in that work. His identity was wrapped up in his relationship with the Creator. And so now, after the curse, certainly work won't, won't bring us that, uh, that ultimate satisfaction because it was never meant to. It's kind of like if you, if you go out uh, uh, sometime this week and you buy a new car. And it has all the bells and whistles and the windows go down with a touch of a button and it has a rear camera and a side camera and a top camera and every other kind of camera you might want and, and it, uh, it, it, the wipers turn on when, uh, when it, it feels rain on the windshield and, and, uh, and, and it knows what music you like and puts it on your, your favorite stations and it, the seat adjusts as you're walking up to it. Isn't that cool when you, you got the key and it just, I set it to something that's not, uh, not comfortable just to watch it move and just, just kidding. I don't do that. But, uh, my, my car doesn't do that. Um, anyway, um, yeah, they have cars now that, that'll parallel park themselves. I, they have cars now that drive themselves, right? So anyway, you, you buy this car and it's got all the bells and whistles and, and all this stuff. It, it, but it'd be kind of crazy if after you get that car home uh, that you paid all kinds of money for, that, that you uh, are getting in, you're enjoying it, but then you start getting mad because it won't fly, Right? And you kick the tires and you call the dealership and you yell a little bit and you complain and you want your money back. They think you went nuts, right? Why is that? Because that car was never designed to fly. It's not what it does. You didn't buy a plane. You bought a car. Your work was never designed to bring you ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. Only Jesus can do that. And so when we try to make work our God, we realize it's a pretty lousy God. So, so I guess we need to, before we dive into to any more of this, we, we have to ask ourselves, we have to take a minute and say, well, what am I really living for? What is really most important in my life? What am I living for? If my answer is that I'm living for anything less than I'm living for God and for His glory, then we're in, in danger of, of making that those other things are God's. And we're living for something that will let us down. If God is your boss, then you're living to please Him no matter where you are, even at work. Work is great, but it's a lousy God. So don't make an idol of your work. So now let's go to the other side because there's probably some of you that may relate to that, but there may be some of you who don't relate to that at all. And you go, oh, you know what? I am not in any way, shape, or form making an idol of my work, okay? I hate my work. <laughs> I am not going there. I'm putting in my time. I'm doing what I need to do. Uh, but, you know, I'm just going through the motions and it's just, you know, it's, that's not me. I, I need to get the paycheck, so I have to work, but... And that starts to describe the slope that we might go down in becoming idle in our work. So if, if making an idol of your work means that we care too much about it, then uh, being idle in our work means we care too little about it, I guess. Might be a good way to, uh, to differentiate that. Uh, this is when we, we, we do enough to get by. Uh, maybe, maybe you hate your job. Maybe you never saw yourself doing this. Uh, maybe you're just working at this for the money in order to fund your real life, right? I got to do this so that I can do that. And we under-identify with our work, maybe. So uh, one thing that we slip into very easily in this is uh, when I th- hear the word idle uh, uh, or idleness, I think of laziness. And that's certainly a, a, a description of, of, of part of what this is talking about. Uh, you're just You just have a poor work ethic and you're just... For lack of a better term, you're lazy. Or you're not putting your full effort into it because you're just, you're just trying to, to, to kick back because you can, right? Um, 
that can be where idleness in our work comes from, and, and, and that's part of it, but, but it also can just come from being disappointed and not having the job that you think you deserve or, or not seeing the purpose. This is probably the, 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 the key point here, not seeing the purpose that God might have you in that place for this season anyway. Idleness at work can lead to a whole lot of negative things, and you've heard it and you've probably participated in it. I know I have. Um, Idleness at work can lead to complaining and dread and discontent and depression and corner cutting and mediocrity and I hate that it's Monday. Instead, we've got to fight against that because for lack of anything else, I mean our sermon series is called Thank God It's Monday. So we've got to turn that around, right? Just an overall bad attitude can come from idleness in our work. And all of that goes against the, the theology of work that's spelled out in the Bible. I, I remember my mother quoting Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, the old King James Version. He who will not work, neither shall he eat. I remember especially, uh, she quoted it uh, more than once, um, but... Um, I remember especially one uh, winter's night when my brother was supposed to take the trash cans around from the back of the garage around to the front because the next day was trash day and it was almost supper time and he hadn't done it. I mean, it was practical. The Bible applies to life, right? I mean, if you don't do this, you're not having dinner. He who will not work, neither shall he eat. I, I mean... The Apostle Paul, uh, the, the one who wrote those words, uh, was, was a big supporter of a hard day's work putting in the time and effort. Over a dozen times in the Old Testament, uh, the uh, King Solomon, just, just King Solomon himself in, in, uh, in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, uh, talks about uh, the importance of, of a, a good work ethic as opposed to uh, laziness. He uses a word that, that I just think is so descriptive. He calls lazy people sluggards. And uh, I just think we need to work that into our vocabulary from, from time to time just for fun. Uh, but just a couple of examples, Proverbs chapter 6, he's using the, the, the metaphor, the, the word picture of an ant. And he says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. In other words, get to work. Uh, chapter 10, verse 14 in Proverbs, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Just a practical uh, sense, uh, you know, Bible aside or not, this is just practical uh, issues for life. If you don't work, you're not going to eat because you're going to be in poverty. And, uh, and, but if you work and you get the money, you're going to be providing for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, again, the uh, King Solomon writing, through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. We've got to do the work to upkeep. This, this world is degenerating, and so there needs to, it's part of the curse. We need to work in order to revive it. We look back at our theme verse there in Colossians uh, chapter 3. We see there's no room for idleness there either. We read verses 23 and 24. Actually, verse 22 starts the whole conversation, and it says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And you say, well, I'm not a slave. Well, actually, the 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 context here, if we look at slavery back in those times... It's not a, an equal thing, but it's a whole lot more, a whole lot less 
like the slavery of our uh, our uh, country back in in the in the time of slavery. It's it's less the that oppressive uh, picture of, of slavery, and it's it's more like the employer employee relationship. Not completely, but but uh, but but to an extent. And so Paul writes many different times about uh, masters and slaves. Uh, we can almost take that and equate it to employers and employees because it's a lot more like that than it is like the the uh, the slavery in our uh, in our country's history. In this passage, it says the slave, or we could insert the word the employee, is to work hard even when not being watched, right? Uh, couple that with the next verse that we've already read, work at things with all of your heart as working for the Lord, uh, and you can see that there's no room for idleness in our work no matter what we find ourselves doing. Even if it's not our dream job, even if we hate it, even if your boss is lousy, even if the teacher is mean, even if it gets boring, even if the day is dragging on, there is no room for being idle in our work. Don't make your work an idol. And don't be idle in your work. Because God is your boss, and you have been called. And that's the other key component here that I want us to spend a couple minutes on today. It might be a new concept, this concept of divine calling, because usually we talk about being called, we talk about being called into the ministry, right? And so we've got, uh, for, for pastors, for missionaries, uh, for folks in ministry in some way, they have this divine calling on their lives, but we don't necessarily think, I mean, it seems a little weird to say I'm called to be a plumber, or I'm called to be a lawyer, or I'm called to be a stay-at-home mom, or I'm called to be... Fill in the blank. Actually, in the New Testament, many times the, 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 the word called or calling is, uh, in the Greek is actually the same word where we get our term vocation. Uh, not vacation. This isn't, uh, you're not called to vacation. Maybe some days. But 1 Corinthians 7.17, just one example. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God has called them. This, uh, the, that, root word uh, uh, is that where we get vocation uh, is is all about being called or being assigned to somewhere that God has called us or assigned us. So, so just consider for a minute that you were made with certain gifts, talents, and abilities to serve God in the world even through your vocation. Certainly you are called to a relationship with God and God has made that call uh, upon all people. Come uh, come and be a part of the family of God. We are called to a, a relationship with God and we are then called to live out that relationship every day, making a difference in the world even through what we have termed sec- our secular work. Maybe you've heard the story of uh, of Eric Little. Uh, he a Scottish runner and, and missionary in the 1920s. He re- refused to, uh, to to run in the uh, in the Olympics on Sunday, because one of the one of the heats was on a Sunday, and so we refused to do it. And uh, movie *Chariots of Fire*. Maybe you've seen that, or if you haven't, go uh, go watch it on Netflix this afternoon. Uh, great, great, uh, inspiring film. Uh, but Eric is explaining to his sister, who was against him running and all for him joining the family in mini- in ministry and missions in China. Uh, he explains to her that he's called certainly to mission work, but there might also be another calling in his life. Let's watch this. I've decided I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so pleased. Well, I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. 
I believe that God made me for a purpose, for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. To win, to succeed, to do your work well, to fulfill your calling is to honor God. When I'm doing my work well, when I'm diligent in my work, when I'm not treating my work as an idol, I'm not idle in my work, but I'm doing it to the best of my ability and putting my whole heart into it, that is honoring God. That is worship, even if it seems like something secular. What is it that when you do it, you feel God's pleasure? For Eric Little, it was running. And God has used it, I mean, it was almost 100 years ago, and we're still telling the story. It might not always be singing the latest worship song. Some of you, we don't want you singing the latest worship song. You've been gifted in other ways. It could be working with numbers or building something or helping the poor or cooking or playing with your kids or science or protecting the, 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 the community or fill in the blank. How has God put you together? What is it? that God has called you to? Do you see your vocation as a calling? Because, and I think, I, I think this is important, God does his best work through you. Throughout Scripture, God used people. Now, he could have just zapped him, himself into situations and, and, and changed this and done that and, and wiped these people out and all that, but he always uses people to accomplish his work. And it could just be that he has a calling for you to serve him where you are serving him on purpose to make a difference. I mean, each of you have so many more opportunities than, than, than I do as your pastor. It, it, you, you can reach people that I will never even know, let alone have any influence over. Ephesians 4.12 says that my job is to equip you, quote, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. My job is to equip you and you go and fulfill your calling in the community where God has placed you. And as you do that, the body of Christ is built up. Your work matters to God. I, I heard an interesting fact this past week. There are 40 miracles recorded in the book of Acts. Only one of them happened at church. 39 of them happened in the community or, or at, the, uh, at, the, at the workplace where God's people were living out their calling and letting God work through them. Martin Luther addressed it this way, uh, talking about uh, the, the, the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us this day our daily bread. He, he wrote this, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread, and he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, and the baker who made the flour into bread, and the person who prepared our meal. God answers prayer through people living out their vocation, Right? Luther saying that God uses people in all sorts of vocations to meet the needs, to, to be answered prayer in the lives of others. Uh, being a pastor or a missionary are not the only callings in life. So we have to ask, do I believe, do you believe that your work is a calling from God? Maybe living out this whole, thank God it's Monday thing, really comes down to that, belief, faith. Do you believe 
Do you have enough faith to believe that God has you where he has you for a purpose? Do you believe that God's plans for the world include you and what you can do even in your work, even in your school, even in your family? Do you believe that? Uh, If you make your work an idol, then it shows a lack of faith because you think you've got to dive in and do it all yourself, right? I've got to control things. I've got to make sure this happens. God's plans might not work out, so I need to help him out a little bit. I... I need to do this myself. If, if we're idle in our work, it shows that we really don't believe that God has you there for a purpose and, and you just kind of phone it in and it doesn't really matter. If I, I'm not working for him and he doesn't have a purpose, then I can do whatever I want. Maybe the image we could look at is being uh, kind of like being a soldier in the army. Most soldiers don't know the whole battle plan, right? They, they, they weren't privy to the war room discussion. All they know are the orders that they have right now. They have a specialty. They've been trained specifically. They've been assigned to do a job. And so they do it believing that they're doing it to help accomplish the overall purposes of the generals in charge, right? The the people who know the whole plan, who have the whole uh, battle plan in place, know that these people need to do that and these need to do that and these folks over here and this division here and doing that. And if we do all that well, it's going to accomplish the purpose Maybe that's the picture that we need to see in our lives, that God has the overall purpose and he's got you right here, right now, to accomplish this for him. I do what I've been assigned for this season, using my gifts and abilities and opportunities, working at it with all of my heart, because God has a plan. And if I believe that deep down, if I have faith to believe that, then I won't be idle in my work. And I won't make work my idol because I have been called by God. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for your blessing on your people. As we go from this place today, I pray that we would go knowing that we are your representatives in the world where we live. As we work, as we play, as we shop, as we spend time away from this place, I pray that it would be evident for all who encounter our lives it would be evident that you are a part of, of our lives, that your spirit is, is, is flowing through us. I pray, Lord, that, that truly we can be used by you, maybe even answer somebody's prayer, even as we do our work. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to, to, to realize, to recognize that, that we are called by you to live out our relationship with you every moment of every day. And so we we thank you that you go with us now in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.